today's reading is Luke 10, 25 through 37. It can be found on page 958 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you know that we are coming here today from so many different places, so many experiences during the week. Some of us celebrating and some of us mourning. Um, just so many different stages of life at work right now. So many different things going on in our families and among our friends and at work. Um, or looking for work. And you know that we're coming with different approaches to you that some of us refer to you as our Lord and Savior, and some of us don't know what to do with you, and some of us maybe are here totally against our will right now. But we all need to hear today's word that uh, you have for us, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears and help us to be able to receive the, the difficult but important word of, of what it means to love our neighbor. You would be here in our midst and you would help us to be transformed into the people that we are meant to be. People who are shaped by love and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a few months ago when I found out I was going to be preaching on this passage, um, I had my usual response of, oh, one of the most popular passages uh, in the Bible, um, which presents its own set of challenges. Um, on the one hand, I worried that it would not feel relevant to you. Uh, maybe you've heard this passage time and time again. Uh, it really is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, and it's pretty easy to tune out and think about lunch after service or anything. 
Um, didn't realize that the week leading up to this would be a week in which um, the nation was racked with stories of seven de separate deaths, um, each one a tragedy, and, uh, and difficulties of, of deaths coming from people not recognizing their neighbors. Um, the other side of this I was nervous about is the fact that I am so familiar with this passage, I've read it so many times, that it is difficult sometimes to approach it with fresh eyes, and you kind of just see it, and you're like, I already think I know what's in here. Um, that's pretty much it. And so I, a couple months ago, I went on Facebook, which I was going to do anyway, um, and I, I put out a request to all my friends, but especially my friends who are not Christians or who are not still Christians, um, for their thoughts on what this passage meant to them. When they asked them to read it and to just share their reflection on their response. Um, I thought that might be a way just to get some different perspectives from people who may not be as familiar with it or may read it very differently. And uh, I got a lot of great responses um, from people across the spectrum, from lifelong Christians, from people who had left Christianity, people who didn't grow up in it. Um, and one of the interesting things that came up in a lot of the responses, um, especially from the people who are not Christians, and I think maybe had some of the freshest eyes on this, uh, was a take that this is a really difficult teaching, that this is too hard. Um, you just, it's, it's too much of a burden. You can't do this. Some of the people who had left Christianity said that they remember growing up in the church and hear, reading this passage or hearing sermons about it, and they felt like it was, it was just a really strong law, a really strong requirement that was being put on them that they could never measure up to. Um, you know, they, they would struggle with that. They just feel like they could never measure up to what God wanted from them. Um, and that they were, they were just a disappointment. And that perspective on it really was helpful to me. Um, and it brought out something in the text that I'd read before, but it never really stood out to me. Uh, that's a line from the teacher of the law where he says, and who is my neighbor? But right before that, it says, he asked the question because he wanted to justify himself. Um, I think that that really speaks to, to the passage as a whole and, and much more to every one of us and the difficulty of what this has to say. Um, so this in the back of the mind... Let's think a little bit about what was going on in this situation. So, so the story starts that the expert in the law, um, so he's sort of a lawyer in the Torah, uh, so the, the law that has shaped Judaism at that point, it shaped the Jewish faith, um, provides the rules for morality and religious living, that sort of thing. So this is, he's dedicated his life to studying this. This is his job. He's an authority on this. Um, and he sees Jesus, and he wants to test him, it says. Uh, so he's, he's not coming out of a, a good place um, with Jesus. He, he's wanting to test his knowledge, wanting to see if he can catch him saying something wrong. And so he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, which is interesting when it's not coming from a sincere question. But Jesus recognizes that he's a teacher of the law and says, well, you're an expert in the law. What do you read when you read that? You know, you probably have an answer. Um, and so he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him you've answered rightly. And 
Good job, expert in the law. This was, this was not actually... So it's interesting that he's asking this question of Jesus to test him because the religious experts had come to a consensus for a long time that these two commands summed up the law. Um, Jesus actually says this elsewhere in, in the gospel. Um, you know, he, in his own words at one point, he tells them, these are the two commands that sum up the whole law. Uh, so it's not an unusual reading at all. Um, but something seems to happen in this encounter with Jesus that maybe hasn't happened for this guy in a long time. And there seems to be a shift where he sees these commands for the first time with fresh eyes and is convicted by them. Um, and this is, this is easy to imagine. We, we get used to rules or something we learned a long time ago, and we just kind of assume that we're, we're living up to it. Uh, I think probably most of us, whatever background, have encountered the idea of the golden rule, um, which is the second command here, to treat others as you want to be treated by others. You know, that's, that shows up in all sorts of literature for children, whether it's Christian or not. And um, I think it's very easy later on in life, when you haven't been taught that in 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, to think vaguely about it, like, yeah, I'm generally pretty good with that. I know about that one. I'm on track. And, um, and it's easy for anybody who's done any sort of you know, intensive study on a subject that the more you read and write about something, sometimes it can become, uh, you can have a lot of knowledge about it and you can totally lose the impact uh, that it's supposed to have. And so the odd thing is, out of nowhere he says he wants to justify himself. Jesus hasn't asked him to justify himself. Jesus hasn't said, hey, you're not doing this. Jesus just answered his question. He said, well, actually, he answered his question by asking him the question himself and then endorsing his answer. Nothing in here is Jesus calling him out, and yet he responds and says, or he responds saying that he wants to justify himself. For some reason, something has tugged at him now, and he's feeling like, I haven't really thought about these commands in a while. Um, they, I don't, I'm not sure that I'm doing all right. And so he looks for a loophole, and he says, and who is my neighbor? Um, this is a question that I think harks back to uh, one of the first questions the Bible recounts of anybody posing to God, uh, which comes in the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, it's a story of two brothers, and one of them, Cain, is very jealous of his brother Abel, and he murders him in a field. Um, then he leaves the body, runs off, and it says that God confronts Cain and says, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain kind of bitterly just says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer that he's implying there, of course, is no. Um, it's not a genuine question. It's saying, my brother's welfare is none of my concern. Um, it shouldn't be any of my concern. And this is the same question, I think, that the, the expert in the law here is posing. He's asking, who is my neighbor? It's, and just like, am I my brother's keeper, it sounds like a nice question. But it's not about who is on that list. It's about who's not on the list. It's um, an issue of saying, give me the exact people that I have to care about. Tell me the, the parameters. Give me the checklist. These are the people that I, you have to love that I have to care about, that I have to be concerned. And that way I know that I can ignore the rest. You know, it's, it's a framing of 
really of just trying to get at that. I want to check the boxes and make sure I'm justified, and there I'm good. Um, so Jesus' answer is interesting because it's not really an answer. He, uh, this is a frustrating thing that Jesus keeps doing to people and a uh, frustrating thing that rabbis did to people a lot, but he responds with a story, the story of the Good Samaritan, which we just heard a few minutes ago. And, uh, you know, he tells the story of a man going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a pretty well-known dangerous road. Um, people had to travel it a lot, but it, had a lot, it was steep and had cliffs, had a lot of hiding places, um, a lot of places for robbers to hang out. And so this man had been attacked and left for dead on the side of the road. And somebody comes down the road, and you're probably familiar with this, it's the priest. Um, the priest is really highly respected person in their society. You know, one of the top religious leaders. Um, he's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho too. So what that means is that he probably just fulfilled his annual service at the temple. You'd have to report for a little while, do service, and then you could go back home. Um, Jerusalem's where you perform service, and Jericho was a place where a lot of the priests lived. Uh, so he's done with that service. He's coming home. He might be you know, feeling fairly religious at that moment that he just did his duty at the temple. Um, we don't know exactly what's going on, but he sees this man half dead on the side of the road, and he crosses to the other side. Um, in the same way, I think probably a lot of us have crossed to the other side when we have seen someone who looks like they might be an aggressive panhandler or... Uh, just a situation we don't want to deal with. You know, I'm going to stay on this side of the road, and uh, that seems like it's going to be easier for me than dealing with whatever's going on over there. Um, we don't know why he crossed exactly. There are all sorts of possible reasons. Um, but whatever it is, it, it seems that this man's welfare was not his top priority. Um, so he crosses over. And this would be surprising to the hearers, but, you know, story goes on, and then Jesus says, a Levite comes down the road. So a Levite is the, the tribe of Israel descended from Levi, um, and the priests are a group within the Levites. Not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites. So Levites are still pretty well-respected part of society. They're expected to you know, know their law, their, their Torah really well. Um, teachers of the law, experts in the law, were often Levites. So the man who posed this question to Jesus there's a good chance that he himself was likely, he might even be a Levite who lives in Jericho. We don't know. Um, but he probably would have seen himself in this man. And just like the priest is the sort of person who, if they were moving in down the street, uh, you'd probably think to yourself, like, oh, that's a nice neighbor to have. You know, they're going to they're gonna keep their yard up. Um, they're probably going to, you know, not contribute to crime. They're going to do these things. And so uh, he comes down and passes on the other side, too. He sees the, the half-dead man, maybe dead, he doesn't know, um, crosses to the other side, doesn't want to deal with that. And, and the way that stories were often told, the audience now would be expecting the third character. Okay, the third character is going to come along to save the day, and it's probably going to be an Israelite. Stories often included the priest, the Levite, the Israelite. Um, and this is what they're expecting. And, it, and this kind of story then would be an anti-clerical story. It would be saying, like, your religious leaders, look at how they fail you. They're hypocrites. But the common man on the street, he knows where things are. He cares for other people. Um, but instead, Jesus says it was a Samaritan. 
And to really understand it, you have to get back from all of our uh, modern Samaritan hospitals and that sort of thing, where we now think, because of this story, of Samaritans as great people. Um, Samaritans were not great people in the, the minds of Jesus' Jewish audience. Um, they were actually mortal enemies. Uh, it was not uncommon for there to be bloodshed erupting between the Samaritans and Israelites. Um, like 20 years after this would have happened or so, we know that there was um, a pretty significant battle between some people from Galilee um, and from some Samaritans, which all started. Some Samaritans had killed a Galilean. Galileans all said, let's go get those Samaritans. Um, you know, it was just, it was very rife with conflict. Um, and, and so this story that we read today is from Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to, Jer- to Jerusalem, and they're going through a Samaritan village. They ask for hospitality, and they receive none um, because they are headed to Jerusalem, because they're Jews. And Jesus, two of his disciples, John and James, say, Jesus, this is really disrespectful of them. Do you want us to pray that fire comes down from heaven and consumes their whole village? Um, and Jesus kind of says, guys, just no. Um, you know, they, they haven't really been listening. But, but this happened one chapter before that the Samaritans and the Jews do not get along. Um, part of this goes back, they have shared ancestry. They bro- broke off uh, a few hundred years earlier. And you know how someone who you don't get along with, who you share a root with, like there's an extra level of hatred there. Um, they're betrayers. They're not just evil outsiders. They're betrayers. So in this myth, Jesus has the Samaritan as the, the savior in the story. The person who comes along and sees a Jewish man on the side of the road and disregards the fact that he's a Jewish man and instead just sees him as, as a man, a fellow human, and comes to his aid. And he, he goes really above and beyond in this story. You know, he, he applies first aid, he puts him on his horse, he takes him to an inn, he pays the innkeeper to take care of him and says that he'll cover more expenses. If they're, can you imagine taking someone to the hospital and, today and saying, you know, if there are more medical expenses for this person who's half dead, just let me know and I'll cover it. Um, you know, this is, this is a big risk he's taking. It's uh, incredibly sacrificial. And so, in the midst of this, it's just it's a shocking story to the people. And so Jesus then shifts the whole question around. He's finished the story and he says, who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So, the teacher of the law had phrased the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who was a neighbor to this man? It totally shifts the focus of the, the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, it is a, a fundamental difference from having a list of who is a neighbor to how can I be a neighbor. Um, it answers the question, basically, everybody is your neighbor. Um, You'll excuse me for a moment. I want to make sure I'm on the right track. Um, Turn that page. So what we find here is this is a really difficult teaching. Um, And this this sounds like a hard teaching now. Like, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Everyone. Oh. Okay. you know, and this kind of hits home for the, the teacher of the law. And it feels like really bad news 
because he wanted to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. What rules does he have to follow? Uh, one of the rules is to love your neighbor as yourself, and it turns out that everybody's your neighbor. Like, this does not look good for eternal life. Um, and in a way, it is bad news. But the bad news is, and same with that Jesus subverts the man's original question and poses it back to him. You know, which, what laws do you have to perform to inherit life? Well, what do you think? And then, well, who's my neighbor? And he tells a story, and then he changes the question. You know, he's subverting these things and reframing things. And the same way this bad news is a subversive good news. Uh, it undercuts the teacher of the law's sense that he can justify himself. Um, and it does that for us, too. I think it's, it's very common for us to fall into like one of two ends of the spectrum um, when we're confronted with this sort of thing. When we realize that we've been thinking we're just generally a decent person, we're a pretty good person, and then we realize that we've done, we just did something or said something or didn't say something, and this is not what a person like me would do. You know, what, like, I'm, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed by the fact that I failed to live up to this. Um, you know, there are times when I just say something out of anger, I'm like, I, I wouldn't do that. I'm pretty sure I didn't just do that because I thought I was a decent person. Um, and that's the same sort of conviction that's happening here. And, and in response, we, we either tend to go one of two ways. One is to take this, this strict perfectionistic approach um, and to think that we can make it on our own and to spend our lives stressed about that. Uh, and it's, it's an anxiety-producing thing, not the same thing as chemical anxiety, but it's, you know, it's its own sort of anxiety of um, wanting to be perfect, of wanting to justify yourself, wanting to prove your worth, wanting to make sure that everybody has to recognize that you're acceptable. Um, it's a sort of legalism, and it has no forgiveness for yourself. Uh, it has a hard time admitting that you've done something wrong, even when you know you have, because that can, it's such a strict standard that it undercuts your whole sense of who you are to admit that you've done something wrong. Uh, it means that you can't forgive other people, because if you're holding yourself to these standards, you end up holding other people to these standards. They do one thing wrong, and they can just end up on your bad list. You know, this is somebody who I don't have to deal with anymore. Um, on the other hand, some of us go a little bit more in what looks like a more laid-back direction, and we kind of allow our sense of what is right and wrong to mirror what we think is right and wrong. You know, it kind of lowers to the standard of what we're already doing, um, so that we can pretty much say that we're a good person. Uh, you know, the demands on me are things that I'm comfortable with, because I'm defining the demands on me. Uh, so, okay, I have to be nice to, you know, my friends. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, but it's not, we, you know, we, we just lower these standards uh, because we're so afraid of being found unacceptable that we just have to assume that the standard is one that we've already passed. Um, and so Jesus enters into this and, and subverts both of these. Uh, he sets people free from both ends. Um, he comes in and says that you can't justify yourself. The bad news is you've done the wrong thing. And, you know, you, you, if you're trying to be, prove that you're good enough, you can't. And there is a real standard, and you haven't met it. But the good news that comes with it is he says, I'm offering you forgiveness. There's actual forgiveness, even though you've done really bad things, even though you've really hurt people around you. Uh, 
you know, you've done real damage in people's lives, and there's still grace for you. There's still war- well, welcome and forgiveness and hospitality to you from God. Uh, and the other part of that is that you're invited to actually try to live up to this standard. You don't have to settle into something that just reflects your own selfish desires, uh, your own self-interest. And so this, this offer kind of freezes up from the toxic ends of the spectrum of self-justification, whether it's striving really hard to be perfect or saying that I'm already doing just fine. I don't have to worry about it too much because my, my inner compass is pretty good. Um, and so for the person who is caught up in this endless cycle of anxiety and guilt and perfectionism, um, if it keeps you trapped and hopeless, like always striving for acceptance, um, feeling deep down that you're unacceptable, that you're worthless, that, that you never measure up. Um, Jesus steps in here and says, you know, God embraces you in love and endorses you as someone who is worth loving, that, that God gives you value. And for those of us who have allowed ourselves to embrace an approach to life um, that sets the bar of acceptable living really low, uh, where we already are, that doesn't challenge us, that endorses our own self-centeredness and blindness um, to the harm that we cause to others and lets us be blind to the suffering of others. Um, In this place, Jesus intervenes and says, God has so much more for you than this. God has more, a more important thing for you to do in the world than to just live within your own comfort. Um, You can actually join in this hard work. Um, the loving grace of God that Jesus is talking about here doesn't break into sentimental, mushy toleration for you. Um, it's not just like, you know, God loves you and that's really, just, just enjoy that. And that's all there is to it. You know, that you're, you should just feel good. Um, it does say you've done wrong, but you can be forgiven. Um, that a perfect life looks pretty unattainable for you. Um, but you're invited to try to love the people around you. And so we find through Jesus that we are offered to be adopted into the family of God. Um, and that, that's this good news, that despite the fact that we don't deserve it, that we are invited to be adopted in. And then with that comes the sense that once you're adopted into the family of God, once you know that you're loved and that you can't shake that love, you can't lose it, um, that there's a welcome that's extended to you no matter what you've done, uh, with that comes a security that says, go ahead and try the hard things. You're not worried about failure now. It's okay if, you know, there are going to be times when you mess up in trying to love other people. There are going to be people who you pass by, who you shouldn't have passed by. But none of those just say, none of those put you on a path of saying, I'm utterly unacceptable. There's no worth in trying. Uh, It says instead, you're loved, you're empowered, you have the security to try to love the people around you. Um, and beyond that, being adopted into the family of God, being part of the household of God, means that you're a neighbor to everyone. Um, just as God is, is near to everyone, uh, God is extending that neighbor love to everyone. Um, you're invited to be a part of that family. And it doesn't matter what sort of boundary the world tells you exists between you and this other person. Um, it doesn't matter 
If this other person is black or white or brown, it doesn't matter if this person is a homeowner in the Fab 40s or somebody who sleeps under the underpass. Um, it doesn't matter if this person is a police officer or somebody with a criminal record. Uh, it doesn't matter if a person looks like someone you would have known growing up or looks like someone you never would have seen in your hometown. Uh, it doesn't matter if this person is a natural-born citizen or an undocumented immigrant or a refugee. Each one of these people is your neighbor once you are invited into the family of God. And let's not be naive and pretend that this is going to feel really nice all the time. Uh, this is a difficult teaching. It is a difficult teaching. Um, this is going to make your life harder in a lot of ways. It's going to bring in a lot of tension. Uh, loving people who you're not used to loving is going to entail a lot of listening um, to people and listening honestly and not rejecting their different um, claims outright. It means learning what it means to love people uh, and that that doesn't always look like what you might have assumed it would look like. Um, it means paying attention to the suffering of the world around you, not ignoring it, uh, not being apathetic about it. It means not trying to blame the people who suffer, you know, that he knew that was a dangerous road, he shouldn't have gone down there alone. Um, you know, it, it means that we, we really enter into the suffering of others and we're going to share that suffering. Um, in a lot of cases, it's going to mean some of the people who are closest to you will see you caring about people who they don't see as neighbors, and they're going to think that you're betraying them for caring about somebody outside your own group. So it's going to come with suffering. But the promise here is that this is not just a burden, that this comes from the place not of a rule that you need to stay awake at night thinking, how many people did I fail to love today? And I am an, I'm a terrible person. I can't make it. There's no point. It comes from the place of knowing that you are loved, that, that God and Jesus died for you, that God invites you into the family, and the Holy Spirit is there to empower you, to give you the grace that you don't have in yourself, to give you the love that you don't have yourself, and to extend that to the people around you. Um, it's an invitation to do that. And it's an invitation, as all of us are invited into this, that the people around you and, and this church and other churches, that if we share this burden together of loving our neighbors together, um, the burden becomes lighter as we work together. Um, so it's not the sort of burden that's meant to crush you, but it is, it's a high calling. It's to be invited to be an ambassador of Jesus. It's called to be uh, an agent of reconciliation, uh, a peacemaker, and, and not the kind of peace or reconciliation that comes um, in a neat little package in which we all just kind of lay everything aside, but the kind of peacemaker and reconciler that delves into the tension, um, that goes into the messiness, and works through that with people. Um, the only way that you can create a real peace. Um, our example there is Jesus, uh, in which God entered in to be born to a poor family on the road without a place to stay, um, they became a refugee family for several years of his childhood. Uh, they returned. He uh, lived in a nation that was under occupation from uh, the strongest empire in the world at that time. It was a brutal empire. A person who um, never left the people who were on the margins of society but sought them out to love them 
and somebody who was put to death by the powers of the world. Um, was, the people had come together under the state and put him to death. And under all this, he, he suffered all this messiness, all this pain and tragedy and suffering in order to bring us life. And we are invited to be a part of that same thing. Let's pray. Lord, this, this is such a difficult teaching and it's such an easy thing for this to, to sound like a burden. Um, to hear this as a burden, to make this into another law that we just can't keep, um, that leads us to give up or leads us to legalism. I pray that we would not go that way. Um, help us to, to take the, this passage, this story of the Good Samaritan, and I pray that you would apply it to our lives for us, that you would give us eyes to see our neighbors around us, ears to hear the cries of suffering people that we might otherwise ignore, that you would equip us to, to know what to do, um, to enter into the work of reconciliation and uh, bringing peace in the world, that just as you invite us to your household, that we would truly live like children of God. That you would be with us and help us to do, do these impossible, hard things that make the world into what it's meant to be, into a beautiful and just and peace place. We ask this in your name. Amen.